Hi, I'm Rob Ellis, and this is your 15. Today's 15 is going to answer the question, what is worship? What is the meaning? What is the definition? What is the importance? What is the essence of worship? And it's a kind of a huge word, kind of a big umbrella word. It's got a lot of definitions, a lot of, a lot of meaning behind it. I'm going to start off by doing what my English professors asked me not to do when defining a word. I'm going to start with the negative. I'm going to tell you what worship is not. Simply, worship is not the slow songs that we sing in church services. It's not the ballads. It's not just the counterpart to praise and worship that you might have on a Sunday or Wednesday night. It's, it's not a time, a tempo, or, or a moment. Worship, as we'll, we'll start to see here, is more about our, our responding, our relationship, our relating to God. It's a response. We know what worship is. We see it all the time. We don't call it worship, but we know what worship is. For instance, the guy pays a lot of money for a nice sports car. He's probably going to be at, the, at the, the car wash every weekend, waxing, polishing, washing that car. He loves that car. He puts a lot of time and value and energy into that car. He worships that car. The word worship, we get it from the old English word, and it basically means worth-ship. We place worth, value on that thing. It becomes worthy. So we're, in essence, worshiping that thing, that item. For our purposes as Christians, we're talking about worshiping God. We recognize the worth and the value that God has, and so we worship Him. Bob Sorge is one of the foremost scholars on worship. He's written an incredible book called Exploring Worship. And in reading that, I came across some definitions that he has for worship, and I want to share some of them with you. First, he says, worship is a conversation between God and man. It's a dialogue that should go on constantly, consistently in the life of a Christian. Next, he says, worship is the outcome of fellowship of love between the Creator and man, and it is the highest point man can reach in response to the love of God. It is the first and principal purpose of man's eternal calling and, dare I say, existence. Worship is the ability we have to magnify God with our whole being, that being our body, our soul, and our spirit. Worship is ideally normal then. It's a normal attitude for a relational creature properly related to its creator. Worship is an extravagant love and an extreme obedience so there's kind of a resounding theme in those, those definitions that Bob put together. You get the idea of, of interaction, response, creator, created creature. There's a, there's a, a two-way street going on here. There's an interaction. It's, it, there's a relationship implied. All those definitions kind of lead me to my favorite definition. I heard this years ago from, from Louis Giglio, and it's great. It says, worship is our passionate response to God's passionate pursuit of us. Worship is simply us responding to God. He created us for His purposes, and we respond to Him. So the next question, then, why is worship so important? Why is worship placed in such high regard? Why do we place it in high regard? Simply because God does. Paul admonishes us in Romans 12 and 1. He says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Other versions say your act of worship. Notice it doesn't say anything about a song. 
It doesn't say anything about the posture of my hands, whether I'm a crier, whether I'm a runner. It says nothing about that. It's my life offering myself as a sacrifice to God. Pay attention to that word sacrifice. We'll unpack that later. So worship is what we were created for. God desires worship. He is seeking worshipers. Another great scripture, John 4 and 23, talks about God desiring, desiring worshipers and that we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So in the spirit that God has placed within us, that spirit wants to respond to the spirit of God in connection, in relationship, worship. So our role, our responsibility, our privilege then is to worship God. Again, not just songs, not just tempos, not just ballads, but our lives reflecting and responding to God's glory. So let's talk about what worship looked like in the Bible. The pre-Adamic era, it's just a fancy word, a fancy way to say the time before Adam. Pre-Adamic, we've got the host of heaven. We've got God, we've got the Trinity, we've got the host of heaven. We've got the cherubim, the seraphim. The cherubim are going to be the guardians of the light, the protectors of the throne of God. We've got the seraphim. They're the caretakers of the throne of God. They're the ones who are continuously singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is filled with his glory. So if you imagine, the the cherubim are going to be like the elders, the leaders, and then the seraphim are going to be like the worship team, the chorus, the choir, the heavenly choir, continuously singing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Now, chief among the seraphim is Lucifer. We don't really know him by that name. We know him as Satan. His name at that time in the pre-Adamic era was Lucifer. Lucifer then was the chief seraphim. He was the worship leader, the minister of music, if you will, of heaven. He, the, the scripture says he was the most beautiful of all the angels, perfectly created, so much so that he had instrumentation built into his very being. Just imagine, I remember as a kid, my favorite movie was Mary Poppins. And the scene specifically where the guy's got on the bass drum and he's got the, when he kicks his leg, the horn sounds and the trumpets. And that's about as close of an idea as we can get to kind of a one-man band that Lucifer might have been. So much so as in Ezekiel 28, it talks about how he's got the timbrel built into him. And when he moves, it's as if a pipe organ is sounding. So this guy's a walking symphony. Imagine that, the most beautiful of the angels. The issue with that is that Lucifer began to realize how beautiful he was. And he did what some ministers of music, some worship leaders might be guilty of, beginning to realize, well, wait a minute, if I'm capable of doing this, if I'm capable of singing and sounding so beautiful, why isn't some of this glory that belongs to God coming to me? I'm a vessel of God's glory, so I ought to be do some of it. And and Satan just, Lucifer at that time, began to kind of chip away at God's glory. And I'm saying this in really, really kind of watered down, layman terms for us to understand again the importance of worship. God created the entire host of heaven to worship him. Satan began to challenge that and tried to to chip away at that glory for himself. Pride and arrogance rose up, so God had to cast him out. He cast not only Lucifer, but a third of the host of the angels were cast out. So now we've got this gap. We've got this void in heaven now. In walks man. God decides, you know what, I'm lonely. I need that worship. I've created these angels for worship. They decided to to give it, to to lavish it upon Lucifer. I'm going to create a being, a creature that's going to give me the worship I deserve. 
we are created in his image. We are created for that purpose. And we'll talk about that some more. So we move from the pre-Adamic era to the time of Old Testament worship. And I use the word worship kind of loosely there because we don't have worship in the sense of our services as we did in the Old Testament. Worship was marked by sacrifices, offerings. Remember, we talked about worship being relationship. So the way we relate it to God in the Old Testament is through offerings. And I won't unpack all of them, but in Leviticus, you can study and it talks about the five main offerings. There was the burnt offering, the grain offering, peace offering, a sin offering, a trespass offering. And so depending on what your situation or circumstance was and whatever standing you wanted to be in with God, you would give an offering. You would take your sacrifice, normally an animal of some kind, a bull or a bird or something. You would take that to the priest. The priest would offer it up on the altar. And that would be your atonement, whether it was atonement for unintentional sin or, or recognition of God's goodness, forgiveness of sin. If maybe you were, he'd become defiled or something like that. You would present an offering, a sacrifice to the priest, and he would make atonement for you. And then you would be right with God. This is about as far as worship or relationship went in the Old Testament. So we fast forward then to the New Testament. And now we've got a whole new idea and understanding or perspective of worship. Let me give you this fancy Greek word, proskuneo, proskuneo. I want to say it the right way. I'm sure I'll have some theologians watching this. Proskuneo. It means simply to bow down, to kiss the hand of a king or of God. So we go from the Old Testament where it's worship as a sacrifice or an offering. There's the needing of, of blood to be shed. And now it's just bowing down. What, where, what's, what's happening? Where's the gap? Jesus has come now and presented himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Pay attention to that word sacrifice. So he's given his life. He's given his blood as the sacrifice. There's no more atonement that needs to be made. So now we're free to worship God, to bow down, to place worth upon him for that sacrifice being made in our place, in our stead. So now the sacrifice that Paul talks about in Romans 12 and 1, it's not a literal it's not a literal dying that I have to do. There is then a dying, a sacrificing of my will, of my way. I yield to whatever purposes and destiny God has for me. That's how I live. And again, that's basically describing a lifestyle of worship. Every day I wake up and I recognize God's got a purpose and a plan for me and I'm going to figure out and live according to that every day. Now, when I get to church, surely I'm going to lift my hands, I'm going to cry, I'm going to run, whatever you do in your church services, whatever, whatever is normative for your congregation as an expression of that worship. But again, that's an expression. It's not worship as a whole. So I've said a lot. I've thrown a lot at you today. Let's kind of wrap this up. Worship, it's simply giving value to something placing value upon something, recognizing that that thing, that person, that entity, and our purposes, we're talking about God, is worthy. And because he is worthy, we worship him. Worship is our response to God. We talked about Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. Certainly enough, surely enough, the gospel, the fact that Christ took the cross in our stead, gives God the worth he deserves in order for us to worship him. And we understand we were created to worship. We stand now in the stead of the, that host of the angels that were removed from heaven. We were created to worship. A.W. Tozer, one of the greatest pastors, scholars of the 20th century, 
had a lasting passion for the idea of worship. And he was convinced even then, this is the early, early 20th century that we had gotten off, that we had suffered what he coined as spiritual amnesia, that we had lost our way, forgotten why we were here. And even now we talk about purpose and what's my purpose, what's my destiny, destiny, why am I here? Even then, A.W. Tozer was saying, we were created to worship. That is the purpose of our soul. We're solely here. We solely exist to worship God, to tell him how great he is, how wonderful he is, how lovely he is. However we do that, that is the true purpose of why we're here. And worship is common to us all. But when we discover the true object of our worship, then our lives begin to take on meaning. If you're lost, don't know what you're supposed to do, what you're here for, I challenge you, worship God, connect with your creator, and it all begins to unfold. Much has been written and pontificated about purpose in our being, for our being in our society. And I personally completely agree with A.W. Tozer. And it's to worship God, to worship Him alone. And that is your 15. 